Hey guys, before we jump into the show, I got a little bit of a message for you. It's 2017, everyone. We're here, and my resolution is to boost our listenership and followership by blatantly bribing you all to share Grits and Grids podcast posts and our blog posts. I'm going to do that with a little help from my friends. So, we put together three prize packs with a bunch of awesome stuff. The first one's called Eye Candy, which includes some t-shirts and some prints from good friends like Jay Fletcher and Caleb Morris. The second one's called Brain Food, where we have a bunch of books. Uh, Charlie Hopper's Selling Eating, Denise Leon's What Great Brands Do, and one of my own, Stop Blasting My Mama. And then we have the grand prize, which is a collection of a bunch of awesome stuff, including some uh, free fonts from Fort Foundry, as well as a free custom t-shirt order from Black Hat Merchandising. All of this is happening for each time you share one of our posts. That's all you gotta do, share it, or tag your friends on Instagram, or do something to proliferate the goodness that is Grits and Grids. So share any post that you like on Grits and Grids with all of your friends, or tag them on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. We'll pick someone at random for each prize pack, so only one winner per prize pack. Um, Check out the website to see the full skinny on what you could win, and tell the world about the amazingness that is Grits and Grids. As always, thank you for tuning in, thanks for listening, and now, on to the show. Hey everyone, this is Joseph, and today I'm sitting with Nancy Palmer, who is the Executive Director of the Georgia Craft Brewers Guild, or as her pops likes to call her, the Commissioner of Beer, which I actually like that a lot better. (laughs) (laughs) Say hello. It does. I think you should have a t-shirt that says that. Um, anyway, so I, I brought Nancy onto the show because she has been doing so much here in Georgia. For those that don't know, Georgia is a little bit behind uh, in their legislation with regard to craft beer. Um, and then she's also been, I think, maybe maybe you should say it. Nancy, you go ahead. Tell, tell the world what you do. Well, um, I've I've been the executive director of the of the Brewers Guild now for, I guess, a little over three years. And we're the trade association that represents the uh, craft breweries in the state. So right now we've got about 50 members. Uh, everybody kind of pays dues in. And um, I uh, get to represent them at the state capitol and um, and also kind of work on the needs of the industry. And as you mentioned, we're, we're a highly regulated industry. So I spend a lot of time talking to regulatory agencies and, uh, and trying to get some laws changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, for example, one of the biggest issues that we face, I don't know how in depth we can go into it legally, but um, essentially, I think the the analogy how it went that kind of opened my eyes to it was there's a brewery in Athens, Georgia called Creature Comforts with a pizza shop next door. In order for that pizza shop to carry Creature Comforts, Creature Comforts has to hire <laughs> um, uh, a distributor to come pick up their beers, drive it an hour and a half to Lawrenceville so the pizza shop next door can order it and have it shipped back. Um, that's that's at least how it was like a, a year and a half, two years ago. I don't know if anything's changed since then, but that to me was like the most absurd uh, scenario I could, I think I've ever heard. Right. And, um, and that's absolutely the case. And it's kind of, it's even worse for breweries that we have in like really small towns like Blue Ridge or, you know, guys that want to open up in Twin City or Menlo or something like that. Where their beer, I mean, they're not kind of making a lot of beer because they're in a small town and they just want to service their kind of small town or their tri-county area. Mm-hmm. And their beer is where, you know, a distributor's got to come and pick it up and drive it two and a half hours, sometimes three hours to a warehouse just to spin it around in a parking lot 
so that it can get driven right back up to where it started because the customer base for that for that brewery or that brand is kind of immediately inside of that town or city. They're not right. the types of brands that are trying to uh, expand outside of their kind of hometown. And those are the ones where it's kind of super frustrating. At least with Creature Comforts, you know, some of the beer does, in fact, end up in Lawrenceville or in Atlanta. Right. Um, doesn't all drive right back to where it started. But for many of our breweries, it all drives right back to where it started. Yeah, especially when you're small, you're just starting, you're, you don't have huge budgets. And I mean, I don't know the numbers. I don't know, maybe you're a little more privy to them, but that has got to jack up the price of the beer unnecessarily. Oh, it absolutely does. And it's, and it's a state-mandated middleman. Um, and, and trust me, there's a lot of things that jack up the price of your beer between when it leaves the brewery and when it, uh, when it gets to you, there's state, federal, and local excise tax. Um, Mm -hmm. there's sales taxes, there's, there's the distributor in the middle. Who's the one that's moving the beer. There's the retailer that has their markup as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's a, I mean, there's a lot of different, um, elements that are kind of adding price on and, and the general sense is that. Um, when you buy a beer, uh, the wholesaler that delivered it is, is generally getting about 30% of that money. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, I guess it's good for jobs, but it's not really good for a a burgeoning uh, beer industry. I mean, uh, Georgia, the state kind of lost out to some pretty big names, right? I mean, and I would argue that it's not very good for jobs. I mean, we're certainly you're protecting the job of the guy who drives the truck. Mm-hmm. But in the in the larger scheme of things, you're you're making it so that every brewery in the state is forced into a wholesale distribution model, right? So mm-hmm. they can't sell beer to a person who walks in the door. They can't sell beer to their wives. They can't sell beer to the pizza store across the street or anyone else, right? The only people they can mm-hmm. sell beer to is that wholesaler in the middle. And so that can become um, a real burden because they're only making that little bit of margin that you get when you're selling something at wholesale. Mm -hmm. So you have to have a lot of money to open. It's very difficult to cash flow. You have to be comfortable with incredibly small profits. Mm -hmm. And in the, maybe in the short term, you know, the distributor has a job for a guy driving the truck, but I mean, we would have twice as many, three times as many breweries open if we had a little more flexibility in that arena. And frankly, most of my breweries have no desire to like drive trucks and be logistic companies. Like they open because they like making beer. Right. But, right. Um, you know, because they're forced to always, 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 always use these wholesalers no matter what, you know, we're just talking about wanting a little flexibility in that area. Not that every brewer in the state wants to, you know, start driving all their stuff all around. Right. Not only would yeah. they not want to do that, the retailer likes that they buy all their stuff from like one or two guys as opposed to, you know, having to write 400 checks a week. Uh, yeah, the retailers like it too. So, I mean, there's a lot of upside to this wholesale model. It's just the fact that it's 100% of the time and that it's forced. It's not an option. Yeah, yeah that makes sense to me because it's actually, that's the benefit that that model brings is, you know, you don't have to go around and sell your stuff to every single distributor in the state. Like, you, you can be on those purchase lists and that's great. And so they're, the, they're not losing that benefit at all as far as um, the, the true 
service offering. You know, it's not like you're taking away their lifeblood as, uh, as far as the distributors. Mm-hmm. Um, but it'd be nice to roll up into a brewery and be able to purchase a pint of their beer and give it a little taste <laughs> so I can go order it from my local uh, distributor or um, what do we call them here? ABC stores or whatever. Right. I mean, package stores, liquor stores. Package stores, there you go. Yeah. So the, I mean, it, it is kind of a, it is kind of a challenge that it's called the three tier system and people mm-hmm. hear this phrase like thrown around a lot. So basically inside of the beer and wine world, every state has a three tier system. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, there are manufacturers and manufacturers are different from wholesalers, right? They sell to wholesalers and then wholesalers sell to retailers and then retailers sell to the consumer, right? Mm-hmm. So a retailer is like a package store, but also a restaurant or uh, store, yeah. yeah, or yeah, but Six Flags, you know, like, oh, sure. and anyone who sells beer is a retailer, right? And so, in other states, what you see in order to support the craft beer or the craft wine economy, there mm-hmm. are these exemptions to the three tier, where you know some businesses might be required to only use that system, but other businesses, based on size based on uh, what type of agriculture they're using, based on how many jobs they have, based on any number of factors, might be able to circumvent the using that system 100% of the time, all the time. Mm-hmm. So in Georgia, we have only two exemptions. We have a brew pub, which is a restaurant, that's a retailer, that also mm-hmm. makes beer, is a manufacturer, right? So they're operating in two tiers. They get to sell it and they get to make it at the same time. And there's restrictions on how big they can be and all sorts of stuff. But, like, mm-hmm. that's one exception. And then the most common one people think of is wineries. You can go to a winery almost anywhere in the country now. Mm-hmm. And you can sample the wine for free. You can buy a glass. You can buy a bottle. You can have it shipped to you. You can have a hamburger. You mm-hmm. can, you know, you can do whatever you want at the winery. And they're making the product there. But you can also buy the product there in any number of formats, right? And that's mm-hmm. the idea of of kind of finding exemptions to this three-tier system that allow for small businesses to interact with their customers in the way that makes the most sense for them. So a winery in Georgia can do what you said, that example you gave for Future Comforts earlier. Mm -hmm. A winery in Georgia can ship directly to a retailer across the street. They don't have to do the whole wholesaler, spin around in a parking lot business. Mm -hmm. And so what... You know, what we look at when we're kind of thinking about how do we change Georgia to make it more competitive, to to get in line with what other states are doing, we're not thinking about, you know, we need to tear down the three-tier system and start from scratch and free market and all this. Um, It's really more like what kind of exemptions make sense to foster small business, particularly craft breweries in the state. And, And you've kind of picked up on a few things that we need to work on, which is, you know, selling directly to consumers who visit, selling to retailers, and then probably changing some of the relationship between the brewer and the wholesaler. So that's a little more equitable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so when this airs, it's going to be the end of January. So we'll be in the middle of this uh, session, right? Yeah. So the legislative session uh, always starts the second Monday of the year. So it'll be January 9th this year. And the first little bit is where they do appropriation. So it's mostly budgeting. Mm-hmm. Um, which can, you know, be exciting for some people, but is not super <laughs> exciting for craft beer. Um, right. And so, you know, we'll be uh, pursuing legislation this year. And um, hopefully by the time this airs, we've got a bill number and we've got a sponsor and maybe we even have two bills. Who knows? 
Um, but we're looking at doing uh, specifically dealing with direct retail sales at breweries so that okay. an individual can go to a brewery. They can actually buy a beer with money and not have <laughs> to do this kind of crazy workaround system we have right now where the beer is free, but you buy an educational tour. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then also so you can buy some beer to go and so that a consumer can buy uh, food at a brewery which mm -hmm. is caught up in a pretty convoluted rule right now. We just want to, you know, make it where it's just money for beer and food without any, you know, complicated uh, structures yeah. required. And then for brew pubs, there's some, there's some cleanup language that we want to do. We also have brew pubs in our organization. And mm -hmm. so we want to make sure that um, there's local control on some of those brew pub issues that the state uh, should kind of push to local governments to decide what what brew pubs can do under certain circumstances and maybe mm -hmm. change a little bit about um, some of the things that they're allowed to do. But that's really our focus is is we need to uh, we need to make brew pubs a little more competitive. We need to make people so they want to invest in brew pubs. And then with breweries, we just absolutely have to have uh, tasting rooms at breweries that operate like tasting rooms in other states. Because the mm -hmm. way that we're operating them right now is confusing and breweries aren't making enough money and we're, we're not being competitive. And um, it's just kind of silly. We're, we're going to be the last state to do it. Yeah, it is. It is a bit silly. I mean, I know there's some strangleholds with other uh, interests that are kind of been holding it back. But hopefully with, I think, some of these bigger breweries that could have came here that could have, you know, um, made a noticeable impact on our economy in a positive way, but chose to go to another more lenient state. Hopefully with that information, it's starting to become very clear that this is a good move for everyone involved. Um, we'll see. But it's interesting because we, we are, I guess, a latent comer to the craft beer scene. And I think you said there's 50 breweries uh, as a part of the association right now. Yep, that's about right. right. It depends um, on whether or not you count multiple locations as one brewery or multiples, but we'll just I'm go sure. with 50. Yeah. I like 50. It's a nice number. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think the number that I had heard is like every day, like 4,500 breweries, like breweries start or open or something like that. I don't know if that's <laughs> true or not, but um, I think suffice it to say where I'm going with this is it seems like, although I love craft beer, it, it's a bit of a bubble and it, that bubble will eventually have to reach a tipping point. Uh, do you agree or disagree with that? Like, what are your thoughts? Pardon the interruption, folks, but here's a message from one of our sponsors. The only thing embarrassing about 2016 was you didn't launch your brand. The minimums were too high, screen fees were ridiculous, and you knew your project was going to be run after the horrible family reunion t-shirts. Your brand deserves the same craft and respect you put into it, and that won't happen with your average partner. Black Cat Merchandising is way more than a churn and burn screen printer. They're a true partner to launch and grow your brand the smart way. No screen fees, low minimum orders, and fair pricing. Black Cat Merch is run by designers for designers, with the focus of growing your brand. Make 2017 the year your brand takes over by visiting blackcatmerch.com and mentioning Grits and Grits for a special offer. Um, you know, I don't... Okay, so I don't think it's a bubble in the most like technical economic sense, right? In, a, in an economic sense, a bubble is when something's overvalued, right? So, mm -hmm. so I don't think that craft breweries are overvalued, except for maybe you could make the argument that some of the acquisitions of craft breweries 
uh, in the last year <laughs> might have yeah. been there might have been some overvaluation happening. There. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah. we've seen, you know, our first billion dollar deal and some stuff like that. That's really I, I think that's a bit dramatic. Mm-hmm. But all that said, I mean, kind of I think what you're what you're wondering is clearly this growth is not sustainable. Right. Right. I mean, this is just a tremendous amount of growth and it's not sustainable for a number of reasons. One is making beer is not necessarily easy or intuitive. Like it's a learned Mm. skill and we're just not producing enough people fast enough that know how to make beer well to actually have enough to have all of these breweries stacked with like successful and knowledgeable brewing staff. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. a huge part of the problem, right? Producing the manufacturing equipment on which beer is made is a whole bottleneck. Um, there is a bit of a bottleneck when it comes to raw materials, though though not as bad if, if it's kind of managed correctly. Mm-hmm. But really, I think we're we are getting into an area where um, you know, excuse the the language, but the you know everybody was really thirsty, right? Everybody was super sure. thirsty for craft beers, and and all you had to be was new. And if you were right. the guy on the block, then you got a tap handle and you got a spot on the shelf and you, you know, you could always, there was always a place at the table for the new guy. And mm-hmm. I think that, um, that does have to, that does have to slow down. You can't, if, if everybody's new all the time, then being new isn't special. And right. so I, I think that, that this growth is, is not sustainable. All of that said though, we have to remember that craft beer is only 10, 10 to 12% of the of the beer market on the whole, mm-hmm. right? So in a state like Georgia, it's something closer to 10. Um, nationally, it's about 12% of the marketplace, right? Mm-hmm. So if you look at it that way, like, there's nothing but room. We still have, yeah. you know, we, st- we still have hundreds of millions of beer drinkers to win over. Right. Um, and so I think that, um, that that is an area, when you look at, when you look at it, you know, we only have 12% of the marketplace, the Brewers Association, which is our national trade organization, is saying mm-hmm. that their goal is to have 20% by 2020. Mm. Um, wow. I think that that's going to be very hard to do for mm-hmm. a number of reasons, but that's a goal that that they have, a vision. Um, and if we're taking over market share in that way, then the sky really is the limit when it comes to the number of breweries that we can open. Yeah. And that's actually, I mean, that's an amazing goal or vision to have, I think. Um, and with how, how quickly craft beer still seems to grow and grow and grow, I think it is becoming apparent that a lot of these startups are very ill-equipped, uh, quite literally, um, but yeah. also financially and educationally. And like, I, I heard some numbers thrown around about like how many places don't even have a lab in, in their brewery right. where it's sort of shoot from the hip and, mm-hmm. you know, and I've heard even more alarming numbers about how many don't even have trademark <laughs> on, on names uh, of their actual brewery. And that's alarming as well. I think we're seeing yeah. like so many hobbyists turn quote unquote legit without the proper education or know-how, um, which is good in some ways, but I think scary in others. And if that, uh, we'll call it a wave instead of a bubble, um, for those who want to blast me on semantics, (laughs) um, that's right. So when the wave or the tide kind of goes down a little bit, you know, I, I I think the natural thing will, will some of these underfunded or, um, poorly operated, uh, 
brands will fall to the wayside. But I think there's always going to be a new breed of better, stronger, well-funded uh, brands coming to town. Um, with that, you go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say that like there there is a little bit of an analog to the restaurant industry there, right? That mm-hmm. it's an industry that is plagued by people who like to cook and therefore they open a restaurant, which is right. a terrible idea. Like I like to yeah. read, but I'm not going to write a novel. Like <laughs> there is a really big difference between like being a good home cook and running a restaurant. And there's a really big difference between being a good home brewer mm-hmm. or enjoying home brewing and operating a production manufacturing facility that produces a, a food product that has to meet with, uh, you know, the standards of four federal agencies, two state agencies, mm-hmm. and, and has to be consistent. I mean, it's an incredibly difficult thing to do. And, you know, if just just the sheer like kind of mechanical engineering side of operating a brewery is is overwhelming for most people. Right. So 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 it's amazing how we go into it, though. I mean, I I just think there's a lot of people who like drinking and think that that's what opening a brewery is. And (laughs) just it just couldn't be further from from what that is. And and they find themselves um, in over their head. I, mm-hmm. I do this survey uh, I send out, I try to send out once a year to anyone that I have a list of kind of people that are thinking about opening a brewery. And some of the things that I ask are, you know, how confident are you that you understand, you know, how breweries interact with the FDA? And then I ask mm-hmm. that about the Department of Labor and about the Department of Agriculture. And it's staggering how many of the people write back, they didn't even know that they had oh. to interact with the Department yeah. of Agriculture or or the FDA or whatever or the Food Safety Bioterrorism Act or you know all this mm-hmm. di- different kind of stuff and so that's that's always something that's a little disheartening and a little uh you know frightening <laughs> right you wish people would learn it before they open as opposed to learning the hard way and then for the guys that are open you know they they really want to be supportive of new guys but also you know they they want the industry to be well respected and right. well represented and it can be frustrating when someone is doing what you do but they're not doing it very well and you feel like that right. hurts craft as a whole yeah i mean i think there's parallels to that in almost every industry we definitely see it in advertising and marketing where you know the joke is my my friend's brother's niece has photoshop so she can probably right. do all this and you're like oh <laughs> come on like <laughs> you know like you said just because i drink beer doesn't mean i can go make it um you know, I, I buy I buy a kit to make it, and all of a sudden I'm a brewer. But I think what's good is the the knowledge, the desire for knowledge is out there. Um, I do think that people just go a little bit too face first into it, and this is probably not the industry to do it. Like same same with restaurants. Um, you know, your analogy is perfect there. Uh, usually, the first phone call I have with anybody who's starting up a new brand, whether it's uh, food or beverage, is trying to find out why they want to do it, and if I get the semblance that they want to. Uh, or the feeling that they that they're doing it because they like to cook. I'm like, well, that's nice, but we can spend that money in so many more fun ways with the right. same result. <laughs> like, they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you're going to lose all that money. Um, the, the 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 question is, do you want to do it having fun, or do you want to do it like crying into a soup bowl every night? Um, exactly. It's <laughs> it's one of these things where. Um, there's there's a real upside to having some actual industry experience, you know, mm-hmm. taking some time to work at an actual brewery and get a sense for for what it means to do that. 
Um, but yeah, people all the time, you know, get in over their head and, um, and unfortunately I'm sure that they look to guys like you or people like me to say, you know, what's wrong? Why, why isn't this working? I need it fixed. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, part of the problem is, you know, well, you probably spent too much money too fast before you knew what you were doing. And, and I'll tell you in Georgia in particular, because of this forced wholesale model, you know, average capital raise for one of my breweries, you know, you, you need to raise at least $1.5 million to, to open. I mean, you can do it for less, but I wouldn't recommend it. You're, you're right. hamstringing yourself. And breweries have raised, you know, up to $2.8 million to, to just to open their doors, right? Right. And luckily, that is a barrier to entry that not everyone can can hit, right? If, mm-hmm. if it costs $1.5 million to open a restaurant, how many restaurants would we have? Not right. as many as we have right now, right? So I, that is a that is probably a good thing for us, at least right in this moment. That you have to be serious enough to to raise a few million dollars in order to get open. Yeah, I mean, and even have the connections to do so. Um, yeah, it's it's amazing to me, like how many places are so underfunded. And um, you know, I don't mean to like look at the world through my own lens, but you know, you get the money for the equipment, you get the money for the product, and you get the staff in place in the place. Good, great, grand, and then you have nothing left over to. like design your look and market yourself. And it's not as easy as sending out like a direct mail campaign that says, Hey, we're open yet. So many people think that's all it is. It's like, Oh, I'll just, you know, I'll throw an ad in the paper and there's going to be a line around the corner. Um, I think they're very, very unpleasantly surprised to find out that marketing and and advertising takes a lot longer to take hold and costs a lot more than they imagine. Um, But yet so many of these breweries do a pretty poor job of it. Some of them kill it though. I mean, I think wild heaven does such an amazing job with uh, their social media interaction alone, um, which also isn't free. (laughs) It isn't. And I think that, you know, this is where kind of you, my world and your world intersect because going back to the, to the wave question, if you will, Mm -hmm. I really, really think that like the, what is going to separate the successful breweries from the unsuccessful breweries is marketing. I think mm-hmm. that we're at the point, you know, it used to be all you had to do was exist, right? And then we got to a place where you had to exist and the beer had to be good, right? That's right. where we are right now. Is you have to exist and your beer can't be inconsistent. It has to be good, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think that we're, we're about to enter into a place where you have to exist. You have to have good beer that's consistent and you also have to have marketing that really speaks to people in a way that that makes you stand out in the industry i think right. that the the days of these breweries with i mean kind of hyper masculine uh branding or kind of not yeah. very well thought out or cohesive branding like i think that those breweries are gonna have a way harder time getting to the sizes that they were able to get to in the 90s and early early 2000s Mm-hmm. I think that I think that I think really, really believe that like marketing, branding and having a cohesive story is going to be what makes the difference. And, yeah. And, and a crap yeah, I mean, logo is going to hurt you in a way it never had. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and a crappy look and a crappy angle. I mean, you know, the problem still lives very well, very, very much alive in the uh, restaurant industry where it's good food, good service. It's like, yeah, man, we know. Like we we expect that. And uh, I was just having a Base conversation. Line. Yeah, yeah. Table stakes. Congratulations. You have a business. Right. Um, <laughs> no, no one woke up this morning and said, I want to create a crappy burger and treat people like shit. Exactly. Um, 
<laughs> so I think, you know, craft beer is already in that area where, you know, when we talk to new brands or brands looking to reposition themselves, um, you know, what makes you different? Oh, well, we curate our hops, but I'm like, no, it's already been said. Like you, you should be, you should be curating your hops. That's what makes it a good beer. Um, well, our beer, like I traveled around the, yeah, yeah. I mean, so did everyone else. You know, it's like we're already hearing the same stories over and over again with just a different name. Um, and we won't even get into naming a brewery and how amazingly difficult that is. Um, but I, I think it's amazingly difficult. It really is. Yeah, yeah. Like surprising. I think, uh, so we just, I can't even say we finished up naming a brewery because we have three applications pending right now because, and they're, they're backups of a backup. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Cause it's like a, you know, it could be a three to six month process and we had one in there. And then like the next day, a conflict showed up that was just way too close. Um, and so it's been frustrating. We, we've played games where you just ask anyone on the street, come up with like five really awesome brewery names and you just look it up on your phone, like taken, 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 and that's taken. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you're like, yep. I mean, it just comes down to like, you have to, it's getting to almost a dot com era craziness where you have to just make up a word like Twitter or I don't know, like. (laughs) <laughs> something like that because you just can't own it and it shouldn't be taken lightly. And I think maybe that's one of the reasons why some of these places don't even bother trying to trademark. Cause if they did, they'd realize there's no way you're going to own that word and name. Yeah. Um, but then you end up, I mean, God forbid you're successful, right? Then you're just crossing yeah. your fingers. Nobody notices you. And that's a terrible place to be in as well. House I'm very glad that, that that's not my job, the making up brewery names. We're going to leave that to you for sure. Yeah, many nights spent uh, sitting in a bathtub holding a toaster and just <laughs> wondering if I should let it go. <laughs> My goodness, but um, it's it's fun, but it's crazy, and it, I, I think uh, as as this industry starts to grow even further, more and more and more, like I said, more professionals, more business minded people, or people with a desire to know and learn how to do it right, are gonna spring up. We're going to see better run places and then we're going to see that need to differentiate not based on product, but based on lifestyle and culture and story. Like you said, um, I always look back to Dos Equis. It is it's Mexican beer. It, it could easily be Corona. It probably is Corona. Mm-hmm. Um, and same thing with Modelo. And, you know, you're, you're putting that against like the other yellow fizzy waters out there. You're not different. Your, your, your flavor isn't that different. Right. And, you know, you're, you see that with the IPAs out there, like, okay, I mean, there's some nuances and we all love stone. And, you know, uh, I think the, I think it's a ground, it's called ground pounder by Savannah. Yeah, um, that's a great beer. Yeah. Um, service. Service. Yeah. Service brewing in Savannah. Yeah. Like, I think it tastes delicious, but if you put them in like two glasses, I, I really probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Um, but what I can tell a difference is, is the motivating belief behind each of those brands. And so if like another IPA came up, I'd be saying, well, is drinking this IPA going to portray the, the sort of like, um, attitude that I want that I like, that I feel from stone. Is it going to like show the world that I am a believer and supporter of our troops? Like I get with service. Mm-hmm. Like, what are, what are you going to do for me? Because, like, people are going to see me drink this. And let's be honest, like, it's an IPA is an IPA, kind of. I hate to say right. that because there are nuances, but. But you have a ton of choices. And so, yeah. and so breweries are going to have to give you more reasons to choose them than the beer is good. It's just 
the beer being good is, is not enough anymore. You've got to really identify with the brewery and identify with the brand, which like full circle comes back to needing a tasting room law in Georgia so that, so that individuals are able to like engage with a brewery in the way in which they want to engage. And breweries are able to engage with individuals the way that they want to, where you meet the brewmaster, you see this space, you can spend an afternoon there, or you could spend every afternoon there. You could go to your local brewery after work and really mm-hmm. identify with that brand because you're identifying with a place. And that's yeah. that's something that's just super important as we kind of move into this very crowded marketplace. How do each of these brands, you know, demonstrate that that they deserve your loyalty? And it's going to be a right. real challenge for breweries that didn't even think about equipment or water, <laughs> much less, yeah. you know, how do I convey my brand story? Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, cause you're talking to a bunch of people, like you said, who are right now, they're just, they're really enthusiasts or really smart guys that have latched onto beer as a form of expression. And this starts to get into a really weird and nuanced world. Cause I think one of the biggest problems that a lot of restaurant, well, I guess any industry, but restaurants, beverage specifically, like, if you said paint a picture of what a brewery looks like, I bet you a lot of people could. And I bet you it looks like every brewery mm-hmm. um, that, that, that you've been to, especially in this area. Like, you know, I notice it where it's like, okay, it's industrial chic. You got your reclaimed wood wall. You probably have some subway tile in there. Exactly. Um, you know, I have these really cool, uh, you know, rock posters or like vintage something. And, you know, it's, it's like so stamped and pressed out of a machine almost that it's going to take some people with some real vision and the brass tacks to do something really different Mm -hmm. to show this industry that you can think outside of your, that experience, you know, I'm just, Um, I'm just excited about breweries moving away from kind of red and Brown as the only acceptable color. (laughs) (laughs) We do these brandscape exercises where we like, and it's in any market. Like we did it in Denver recently. We did it here in Atlanta where we showed the, the, the leading brand beer brands in that area. And it's almost certainly orange, red, Brown. Oh man. And it's, and it's all of the fonts are have serifs and all of the, like, it's this like Bavarian woodcut stuff that's happening everywhere. I mean, it's yeah. just so dated to me and so kind of predictable and so masculine. And I think that that's not the right direction. You right. know, I, I think that, um, it's, they're doing a great job selling beer to like white guys with beards, but like the, the dynamic, moving forward we've got to convert the mexican lager drinker we have to convert the right. white wine drinker you have to convert you know thanksgiving dinner into a beer occasion like you've really got to start penetrating these markets that craft beer has spent no time mm-hmm. trying to market to and that's a whole nother ball game and it's hard which is why i think right. people are shying away from it and not thinking outside of the box but i i really i really think that there's tremendous opportunity the breweries that envision a brand that speaks more broadly. Right. Yeah. I mean, the fact is like women drink beer and they don't just drink your fruity gozes. I mean, um, but it's complete. It's it's like almost like the worst case of the good old boy network because I mean, it's so it's so raw and masculine and like butchy where I can't really think of one beer off the top of my head that would I could say would identify like a woman would identify with naturally. Not that it has to be cliche, like pink purple mm-hmm. with like sparkles on it. Although that'd be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, 
<laughs> but you know, just something that isn't like so masculine where it feels like you should have a beard to drink it. Right. And um, I think that, you know, I think creature comforts is an example of a brand that, um, can easily moves between genders. And sometimes I'll look at my yes. brewery's Facebook page and see, you know, the, the number of people that are following them that are women versus men. And we have a few breweries that are actually more popular with women than men. I don't think many men realize that, but mm-hmm. women, particularly young women actually over index as craft beer drinkers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you don't even have to work that hard to, you know, you basically have to push them away. Um, right. But then I also think, I mean, getting into uh, into into the communities with people of color is something mm-hmm. that no craft brewery is doing successfully, and and particularly the Latino community drinks a lot of beer, and there's a huge opportunity there that no one has figured out how to, besides you know Dos Equis, <laughs> how to, well, no, how to uh... grab those types of brands and those types of thinkers and those types of drinkers into a local craft beer. Um, mentality. It's, it's actually really simple. You just, you bottle it in pony bottles or pony cans. Um, like Latinos love that. I know that cause I am part Puerto Rican and I watched my grandpa drink pony drinks my entire life. I don't know why him and his family and our extended family love tiny cans, but my God, they do. <laughs> I, think, I think it's because it's, the beer stays colder, right? Like you drink it faster. Oh, that's a good colder. I think that's yeah. the, I think that's the reason. Anyway, I like that reason. I was going to go with it makes your hands look huge, but whatever. Maybe that's yeah. it. <laughs> but hey, you and I just you and I just fixed it. All someone, did. all someone has to do. <laughs> Tiny right. we, just, <laughs> <laughs> we just solved the world's problems. Uh, it's great. So, all right. So, speaking of problems, I'm going to wrap this up. But before all you listeners stop listening right now, we will most likely have something else to say after this moment um, because this will air when legislation is in. And so at the very least on the post, we will have uh, bill numbers, right? I think you were saying a couple yeah. things that we could possibly we'll definitely uh, have bill numbers, I'm definitely have bill numbers. Cool. So we'll have bill numbers. We'll have uh, maybe some sort of action that you can take mm-hmm. or at least something to keep your finger on the pulse. Um, so will we, I'll be trying to record that quickly to add on to this at the very least will be on the post uh, with that. Nancy, where can people find you, the Guild? What should we tell them to do? So uh, right now our, our website is uh, www.georgiabrewed.com. And there's a take action link on our website. And from there we have a, a generic petition up right now. So you can sign up on the petition. You give us your your zip code so then I can track kind of uh, whose district you live in. And that from that list, I email people literally from my Gmail account. I will email you individually and say, your legislator is about to vote on our issue, depending on what committee we're in and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. uh, signing the petition is a show of force for us, but also it allows me to, uh, to reach out and let you know what your legislator is doing in that moment um, that may be helpful or harmful to us. <laughs> so the take action link will be updated throughout the session with more information about, you know, what's going on and resources you can use to talk to your legislators but at a minimum, everybody go and uh, sign the petition for us. That's awesome. Uh, definitely go there. And then I think there's some social accounts they could probably follow. I don't know how often they're updated. Um, yeah, not very often. Social is not my strong suit. I'm supposed yeah. to get better at it, but so long as it's just me, if well, you do have an entire social media person. Get in touch with Joseph. He'll get in touch with me. 
That's right. <laughs> we'll find a way to help. I mean, and you have an entire association to run, so doing social probably is not top priority when you're trying to change the the face of our legislation in an entire state. So I think we can all give you a pass. <laughs> I appreciate that. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Um, again, hopefully we'll have a little bit of extra to talk about Um you know, at, on the backside of this episode. Otherwise, check the website. Do follow um, Georgia Craft Brewers Association and check out the website uh, Georgia Brewed B E B R E W E D dot org or com. Was it dot org or dot com? Dot com. Dot com. Okay, there we go. All right, y'all. Have a good week. Once again, everyone, thank you for tuning in. Do follow us at Grits Grids. That's Grits Grids with no end in between on Instagram and Twitter. This podcast and the Grits and Grids blog is a passion project of Vigor, a restaurant and beverage branding and marketing firm based in Atlanta. Check us out at www.vigorbranding.com. And of course, we're all over social media. Until next week, stay hungry, stay thirsty, and be creative.